Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get started. Straight from New York. Yo, yo, this handsome ass. You are now tuned in to Al Joe the Funk Master. Watch your grill, yoga, knock that cold faster. Talking shit, now we talking facts. Where the mountain off the back, you in trouble, came to burst your bubble. I don't shelter punches, they find home on your mind about a double. This the weekly scraps. You don't need a map, GPS, I'm right here to lead a dash. The world doesn't know it needs, but I grow the seeds. Planet, fuck a name and the fame. Only legacy remains. Remember the name, Al Jermaine Sterling. It ain't shit, it ain't shit, motherfucker. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the weekly scraps episode 162. UFC 270 is in the books. What a great fight card, pretty much from beginning to end, especially with the main event. I know some people might say that's not what they expected in the main event, but at the end of the day, to see a new wrinkle in Nagano's game, that's very, very impressive, and we're going to get into that. But first, obviously, I'm back here in Long Island, New York. Welcome to my humble abode. Um, chilling, things are good, and obviously, you guys already know the fight's been pushed back April 9th, so I got some time. So now I'm out here. Um, the whole thing with residency, I, I don't know how strict these guys are, but you know, I made sure I stayed out in Vegas a little bit longer for January to get a little bit more time in. After this week, I'm going to go back and get another two weeks, and that's going to be the Kickstarter to my training camp again, which I'm, I've been training this entire time. Longest training camp of my life again. Um, and with that being said, those two weeks out in Vegas and then coming back to New York, I will have seven weeks, and then the last week, which will be week eight, which will be fight week. So seven weeks to train in New York, and then that last week, I'll be going into um, Florida if that's where the fight's supposed to be. I mean, that's what they said. So hopefully it is in Jacksonville, New York. Things are looking good, man. I, I came back yesterday, got to work with Dennis Bazookia. Fun. Um, and it's like we, we we sparred, but it was like a light sparring slash drilling. Um, just touching, not really going crazy at all. And I like training like that because you could do more, you can see more, and it's a lot safer without hurting your partners and both guys get to work different things and kind of get to express themselves in a different way. Matt Sarah came down. It was cool. We got to take pictures and everything. So it was cool just to have a lot of the guys in the, in the group there. Uh, and uh, being back home, it, it's been a while since I've been here, you know. So um, I've been here and actually going to the gym to train. That's two different things. You know, I came back for like a quick stint. I think it was maybe like five days or something like that. And then I went back to Vegas. So now I'm going to be here for the week. Teaching MMA wrestling class today, so come check it out. You guys can drop in. It's not just a gym for fighters. Regular people can come in, and I hate saying regular people because we're all regular people, but the everyday civilian is allowed to come down to the gym and check out the classes and train, get in shape, learn some skills in different martial arts, and yeah, that's it. It's a gym. Um, outside of that, let's get back into it, man. We have uh, UFC 270. We're going to start with the main event. We're going to get right into it. Francis Ngannou. Highly impressive after being in the hole in my book, uh, two rounds down. Uh, can you close that for me? Um, he was down two rounds, and then to come back and win three rounds in a row after pretty much having that light at the end of the tunnel seemed to kind of get dimmer and dimmer. And then he finds an opening, catches a, a I think it was a knee in the clinch, or that we call there's like one, two, and a three space in a fight. The one is like when you're in the clinch, kind of in the phone booth. Two is like that middle ground where it's more like boxing. Not really a lot of like grappling can happen in that position. But you can maybe step in with a couple elbows. 
And then a three range is almost like a kickboxing range or that range where like I want to touch it with the longest jab possible and not get hit like whatsoever. So it's like we're fighting in these weird ranges to try to figure out who's going to be better at this range and that range. And and Ghana was able to close that distance, tie him, tie up Gan. And I like Gan. He's a great dude, man. But we got to be honest, like for and Gano to win this, there was so much more riding on this in a different aspect. Obviously, Gan probably had a whole lot riding on that too in the aspect of making MMA in France and Paris a lot bigger than what it is today. But, I mean, these guys had an opportunity of a lifetime, undefeated, fighting for a world title in such a short run. Guy's going to be back. He's freaking good. Cyril Gan is legit as they come. But for Francis, debate with the UFC... Button heads with Dana White, contract disputes um, for his entire country in, in Africa, uh, Cameroon. Also from from Paris, lived there for um, not Paris from uh, in France, lived there for quite a while. There's a lot that he was battling and a knee injury. So for him to overcome, or and I seen the knee, I didn't see it happen. I seen him when he was all taped up and bandaged at the piano. I was like, uh, Coach, uh, you sure he's gonna be able to fight? Uh, I don't know. And for him to get through that, get through a fight, fighting a guy as nimble and as skilled and technical as a Cyril Gan and win the way he did, coming back, being in a two-hole deficit, winning three rounds in a row, utilizing takedowns. And again, it wasn't like a traditional takedown, grabbed you, took it down. He threw a knee or I think it was a knee or a kick. I was a little lit. Um, he caught it, picked him up, and just freaking slammed him down. I was like, yo, that looked like a WWE move, like straight up sidewalk slam, just like spine buster. Boom. Takedown. He didn't do much on top, but he fought smart. And when people get upset that people don't go crazy with the ground and pound and lose position, look at my last fight. Had I knowing I felt crappy the way I did, after getting that first takedown, a smarter Aljamain would have just controlled the position. Higher fight IQ. In that situation, I had a brain fart. Whatever it was that came over me, I wanted to throw hammer fist and let the guy get back up. I lost position. Control. Before you try to do damage and before you go for submissions. Control, control, control. Get the guy to get panicky first. Make him make the mistake for you and open up those windows of opportunity. It's his job to get up. In this case, it was the same thing. Cyril Gan had an opportunity where he was on top. And it was his job to win that round. And he wins the fight. Maybe it would have been a split. Who knows? But from the scorecards, I think it was a clean sweep except for one. I think one actually gave it 49 um, 46, I think, I can't remember, um, but I know for the most part, it was 48, 47, and that's the way I think most people scored it, so for Cyril Gan to go for that leg attack with that much time on the clock, without a shirt on, without long pants on, to kind of keep more of a friction, so you can keep more of a grip, and control that position a little bit better, I thought that was very, very, um, naive of him, and I, I didn't want to say, um, and I did tweet that was low fight IQ. And I'm not saying Cyril Gunn has low fight IQ. I'm saying overall in that specific moment, understanding where you are in the fight and making that decision to go for that submission attempt and then losing the position, having Nganu back on top of you for the, pretty much the remainder of that round. That was a low fight IQ decision-making situation. And uh, he chose wrong. At the end of the day, if he won and got the submission, he would have been a hero. But that's the risk you play. High risk, high reward. But in that situation, had he stayed with the lower risk, maybe he stays on top. 
and gets the win. And that's how the game goes sometimes. When you're in there, you just never really know what you're going to do or what could come over you. You make decisions in a fight and split, deci um, split decision, split seconds, and um, you just never know what you're going to do sometimes. Sometimes you just get this weird, funny feeling and you get these thoughts in your head that's like, nah, let's try this. Let's do that. Or that looks good. And then you start trying things that might be outside yourself. And that's not outside of Sirogan. He We've seen him finish a leg lock before. But the fact that he was losing the position later in the round, a little bit more fatigued than normal, five-round fights in the fifth round to go for that, I, I just thought that was um, ill-advised. And I think he's going to learn from that and understanding that the fight's 2-2, for him to get the takedown and then to solidify position, he wins that fight. He goes home the undisputed UFC champion of the world. But for Engano, for him to get it done, and I, he's in a very interesting position. And again, to add on to what I said before, the knee injury, contract disputes with, with Dana and the UFC and the other rest of the brass. Um, then you have him having the last fight on his contract, him not being happy. He said it wasn't about the pay. He wants to box. You know, you got that looming in the in the in the in the winds over there, kind of just um hanging in the wings, just waiting for him. If that's the opportunity that if he does get to do that. Now Technically, as a champ, if he decides not to fight, he's still on the contract. He would have to wait, I think, up until a year before he can get out of that contract. So, I don't know what's going to happen. I do think the smart thing to do would be to take a fight to make money, stay busy, stay relevant. Even though he is the heavyweight king, he is going to be relevant. There's no one really there for him to fight right now outside of a John Jones. So, if that fight isn't the fight that they're going to make, he's in a very unique situation. And I do think... It would be good for him to re-sign with the UFC. The ball's in his court. I'm very, very interested to see how this storyline plays out. And I hope he gets taken care of and gets very well compensated. And I hope the UFC does give him somewhat of the same treatment that they gave a Conor McGregor. That Conor box, and from what I understand on my end, from what I understand, is not about just the money. It's other things in the contract situation, that things that he wants to feel a little bit more free and able and willing to... Um, the UFC is able and willing to let him do some other things and explore some other ventures while also being the UFC champion. So I do think that could be some middle ground that both guys, or I don't say both guys, but it is kind of when you when you think about it, it is the Dana White show and you got the Engano show. So it is both guys have to come to an agreement and whoever is representing Engano, I think is Markel Martin. Um, hopefully these guys can settle something and allow us to continue to see Engano in the UFC in the highest and the best promotion that there is out there in terms of a monetary value and in terms of production value. Because let's be honest, there's no other show that puts on a performance in terms of the, the spectators. Um, maybe you could talk about the walkouts and stuff, but when we're talking about production value, like when you're when you're going to the fights in live person view, um, when you're watching on TV, the production value is always A1. And then on top of that, when you're in the back and you're going to a fight week, the production value of how the ambiance feels, like how you're being treated. I fought for many promotions, and there's nothing that I've ever felt even close. Cornering guys for Bellator and, and fighting in the UFC, going to um, Ryzen and seeing how they treat the fighters and stuff, and then seeing this, it's just night and day. The the, the level of professionalism, I should say. And I, I don't want to say professionalism because it's the people that make the job and the, the, the tasks that they have. I just feel like it just feels like it's a little bit more of a higher standard, a little bit more of a higher league. Like you feel like I'm I'm in the big show right now, if that makes sense. 
Um, again, congrats to Sir um, to Francis and Gano fighting a smart fight. Who would think? Because I know I said Francis has to win in the first three rounds. Otherwise, the longer the fight goes, it's going to start to favor Sir Gano. And to see the fight go that way, Francis and Gano won the decision. Are you sure he won the decision? What fight? Like, how does that happen? What universe does Francis Ngannou win a decision over Cyril Gane? I don't know. But it happened, and I think that shows the evolution. And I think him getting 25 minutes of ring time in there is going to be huge for him, his development, his confidence. And again, he's going to not think now he's feeling himself. Now he should feel himself. He is the king. He is the king. So I'll bow down to the king of the UFC, which is Francis Ngannou, the Predator. Um, next up, we got the Davidson Figueredo fight. Um, Brandon Moreno. This was tough. Oh yeah, and I almost got my draft um, odds boost picked right. Um, I picked Cody Stamen and Francis Ngannou. Um, Stamen obviously came up short, but we're gonna get to that. So Figgy, great performance from Figgy. But this was kind of like the first fight. The power from Figgy, the speed and combinations of Brandon uh, uh, Moreno, the technicality of Moreno. And kind of like the the one guy who just backs up and waits for his big shot. Well, in the first fight, he was kind of going forward. But this one, he backed up a lot more. He did a lot of good things, attacking that calf, slowing down Brandon Moreno when he could. I do think, I think it was three knockdowns. But you do look at those knockdowns, and those were the big moments in the fight. Now, with those big moments, there was always an answer outside of the third round where he dropped him at the end of the third round. Figgy dropped Moreno at the end of the third round and then jumped on a, a darts choke, guillotine, then transitioned to a darts choke um, and a counter choke. Um, saved by the bell. And I don't want to say saved by the bell because we don't know what would have happened, but he was obviously hurt at that point. I think that was the only one of the three knockdowns that actually looked like it hurt him because of the sequence. Maybe he was in the same exact position and it just dropped him, flash drop, um, knocked down, just caught him like offbeat. And the way he was stepping, maybe he just knocked him down. And that's a different. That could be all about balance in the cage. Moreno fights upright. He fights hit with his hands up, tall, and he'll come down. You know, so it could be him leaning over, getting caught with that right hand, and kind of just being off balance, and then him jumping on the neck. And then not even just that one particular knockdown, the other ones as well. I've seen people who get knocked down all the time because they're, they're, I don't want to say their footwork is off, but the other guy just does a better job of timing them when they're stepping, and sometimes it might just be by accident because they're just thrown with so much power that when it does connect, the way you move, it might not be that the guy's timing your step. It might just be that the way you move, whenever they do connect, it just gets you off balance even more than how off balance you are. Like, you might feel like you're on balance until someone pops you on the shoulder and then you start to stumble over to the side. And it's just like, damn, why are you so easily knocked over? And it's just like, well, it's because of the way how close my feet are or it's because my feet aren't spread apart enough. You know, so there's a lot that goes into that. So I do think when we see knockdowns, it's not like boxing. We can't go, oh, he knocked him down. He He's winning. He's hurt. He almost finished him. Because we watched the fight. There was no point where he got those knockdowns. And then we can literally say from the outside as spectators that, oh, Moreno is hurt. And he was about to be finished. I don't think there was ever a point like that. You could say that about the third round, KD. Because as soon as he knocked him down, he pretty much jumped on his neck. And we didn't get to see how Moreno handled that afterwards. But when they broke, he got up and was just like, all right, go back to my corner. And I was like, okay, maybe he's not hurt the way we thought he was. That's, that's the only thing you could really speculate from that sequence. And that's how the way I judge fights. I saw when Moreno connected 
with some like stiff jabs that Figgy's legs would kind of do like a buckling. That's when you know you hurt somebody. That is significantly different. And in my opinion, I think it weighs a little bit more. And it depends. If you hit someone in the equilibrium, you could be like, oh, well, it was just that particular spot. The guy might not have been hurt. But if you get hit in that spot, it can make you do the chicken dance. It don't look good. But were you actually hurt? Or did it just like off balance? And I guess it's all perspective. Like, what do you consider hurt in a fight? You know, if I crack you on the chin and you get stung, your eyes roll back in the back of your head, I hurt you. I think there's no dispute in that, right? You know, so it's, it was a tough one. That fight was really close. A lot of back and forth action. I thought Moreno fought a brilliant fight. I thought Figgy fought a brilliant fight, making those adjustments that he did. I do think Moreno could have attacked the takedowns a little bit better. I, I don't want to say better, a little bit more. And it could have been more so that he ate a lot of calf kicks and it might have slowed him down to the point where he couldn't like shoot in to get in those double underhooks the way he did in the first in the second fight and one of the takedowns that he also got with the body lock and I think he lost position when he was trying to transition to the back <clears throat> but again Figgy did a lot of good things um, I think Sayudo and those guys did a great job with him and the fight was relatively close I think no matter how you look at it you look at the paper one guy had more in the volume and that's the guy who lost Moreno, more in the volume, more strikes landed, but he lost. Figgy landed the more powerful strikes, which gave you the bigger moments in the fight. But at the same time, they never looked like they actually hurt Moreno. More look, it more so looked like an off-balancing thing. But I don't want to take away from the great work that Figgy did. And that is the one thing I can cannot argue. He looked so much better, more poised, looked a lot more confident. There were moments where... Moreno was kind of fighting his ego, fighting Figgy's ego, where I was like, draw him into this firefight, and you're going to win these exchanges because you're faster, and you're going to land the combinations, and from there, you can scum him for a takedown as he overcommits trying to hurt you. And that's, that's what I was thinking. He could have capitalized on those positions, but it is what it is. I do think they're going to do a four fight. It is crazy to see this happening. Like, oh my goodness, when is this going to end? But you have a draw. One guy gets a dominant win. The other guy edges out a win. Now we got to kind of have like that last rubber match, even though it's going to be the, the fourth fight, but it's kind of like the, the rubber match because it's like whoever wins this is going to be up 2-1, technically, and a one draw, obviously. But um, I'm excited for it. I do think these are like two of the best guys right now. I think Askar, Askarov is right there too, but he's more of a grappler. He's more of a, I'm going to get position, I'm going to hold it, and I'm going to hold stay on your back, and if you're giving me a chance to submit you, I'm going to submit you. So I'm very, very excited to see how that one goes as well. Um, when he finally gets his chance to jump into that title shot situation, pitcher. Um, the next one, Michelle Pereira versus Andre Fiajo. This was a great fight from the beginning to end. Nothing but entertainment. Pereira is still learning, still growing as a fighter, developing. And I think he's just more of an athlete at this point. But I think that last one, this last one showed that he does have some heart. He has some grit. And he does understand, like, to be a fighter, you need to be tough as well. You can be good when you're the hammer. But what happens when you are the nail? What do you do in those situations? And this one, he rose to the occasion, got pieced up a bit in that first round, had his nose looking like it might have been broken early. And then he blew his nose in the fight. I was like, oh, don't blow your nose. I was hoping it wasn't going to turn into one of those situations with like an Eddie Alvarez, Cowboy Cerrone, where guys have their nose broken, they blow it, and then all the pressure... Comes right into the eyeball socket, swells up, pretty much shuts your eye, whichever one is more damaged. Um, 
Thankfully, that wasn't the case. We had a great fight. He started to turn it on and in in towards like the, the end in the, of the second round and then that third round, a little bit more fun. Um, just letting loose. He did a great job of just circling and not getting into a firefight exchange and trying to show who was the, the more technical fighter, which would have been Fiajo, who landed some great attacks, especially in that first round, stinging him with that jab over and over and had Pereira just kind of reeling backwards and trying to figure out, like, what am I going to do to make some adjustments? And after that first round, it's like, he started to go up and starts to build, and Fiala starts to go down after he starts to get pieced up just a little bit more. Like, And now, Pacheco is just chipping away, touching him and moving, touching him and moving, using his athleticism, jumping off the cage, doing these crazy Superman punches, and causing chaos. And that's pretty much what he was doing, just causing chaos. And he tends to do better when the fights seem to go that way because he can catch you by just being a pure athlete and super strong, explosive, um, I think people see a fighter and they think that guy who's willing to sit down and bite down on his mouthpiece and start swinging. He showed a lot of uh, improvements in his fight IQ, showed improvements in his, his, uh, his intelligence overall, just picking the right situations of when to engage and when to get on his bike and get out of there and not get in a firefight with this guy who was just knocking guys out left and right. It's a great fight. Um, next up, we have Saeed Nurmagomedov with Cody Stamen. Real early in the first round, 47 seconds, did not think that this fight was going to go this way. I actually thought Stamen was going to get it done. I will say one thing is a little, um, and I, I don't want to make this weird because obviously, you know, I do this podcast, I see these guys in the gym, and I'm not trying to make anything awkward for anybody. I just think when you have tools of accessible training partners and you don't utilize them, um, you don't get to see the certain looks that you can see knowing that the tools that you do have at your disposal, you don't use them, could also hinder your preparedness going into certain matchups. And again, I thought he was going to win this one, but I do think I could have mimicked a lot of the stuff that Saeed Nurmagomedov does. And uh, obviously we've had our fight. He fought Marab. Well, we were training at his gym and then he ended up taking a fight with Marab, whatever. And then my fight with Jan, then there was a little chirping um, at me kind of thing. And it, again, I don't want to make this work because like I said, I'm going to go there. I Nothing but respect for Cody. Whenever I see him in the gym, I say hello. I'm respectful to everybody. Whether or not you like me, I don't know if he likes me or doesn't like me. I think we're okay um, now, especially after the fight. It seemed like he went backwards. But then we trained together one more time just once. And it was just kind of like one of those, I don't know, He we're doing these grappling rounds. And I, I, like you said, if and this was like two weeks before his fight, maybe three, and I was like, it's just one of those things where if you have a guy that you can utilize, um, even if you have to be, I don't want to say fake, but cordial enough to get the work in that's going to benefit you, I think sometimes it comes a, a point where we're only getting older, we're in here for the same thing, our fight already happened, it's gone and passed, whatever feelings you may have. Your job is to get your hand raised, and if another guy can help me do it, I'm going to utilize it. I mean, I brought in Adrian Giannis, who can be a guy that I could potentially fight sometime down the line, and I have no idea. The cards sometimes just shuffle out that way. Um, you don't have to accept the fight. I don't have to accept the fight. That's something we would have to actually talk about, and that's obviously if he continues to, to win or if I go back the other way. It, 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 so there's a lot of moving parts, but again... 
I'm willing to go out of my way, my comfort zone to bring in somebody that I know is really good, make myself vulnerable, making them feel what it would feel like to get in there with me and um, to help me benefit and get better. You know, I, Saeed Nurmagomedov, wow. Spitting back fist, then a spinning back kick, money, both of them land. Cody shoots in, closes the gap, gets in. Saeed manages to kind of bump him over with like a hip wizard, kind of like a, a judo throw, Uchimata, so to speak, Oshigai, whichever one you want to call it. He off-balances him. Then Cody comes up. He comes up with his neck up. And this is where Saeed shows his brilliance, gets his hand underneath, and then locks in a ninja choke. Now, technical thing, just analysis for you guys. Just so you understand this, when a guy or a person jumps on your neck, you have a single leg, both hands are engaged, and you leave your head up and they are allowed to get their full forearm under your neck. Okay, think about this. Your head is up, they get the full forearm under your neck, but then they take the other hand, they have to lock it down into a ninja choke and bite down on your head. And then it gives you no window to get out. All you can do is try to roll. Now, once, and this is if you're Cody on the outside of the offensive position, you're in on the single, the guy attacks your neck, your neck is up, you made a mistake, a couple of things you could do, try to rotate your head up, rotate your head up, or you could try to run the pipe to off-balancing them so that they don't have an opportunity, because th there was a moment where they sat there still for about a second and a half, and that was enough time for Saeed to go, boop, boop, lock it over. Now, had he had gone single when he got knocked off balance, come back up and then run the pipe, Saeed doesn't get that split second or not even split second, I would say that almost two seconds of, of time to set up that choke, and that could have been the difference between him getting out. Not saying he wins the fight, Cody wins the fight, looking the way it was going, I mean, it's only 47 seconds. A lot can happen after that. Nurmagomedov could get tired, Cody can get stronger. We don't know. The fight ended really quick. But we've seen the slickness of Nurmagomedov and the brilliance of knowing when there's an opportunity to finish a fight. He jumped on it, he saw it, and, you know, style points for that one. But I do think there was a window of opportunity for Cody to get out. But once he didn't recognize that position, a ninja choke is relatively hard to get out. It's a rear naked choke, but from the front. So if that makes sense. So I got a rear naked choke from the, from the backside, pressing the head. So I got the same rear naked choke, but from the front side, compressing the head. There's just no way for your head to really go. Even if you forward roll, it's going to be relatively hard. You got to roll through and try to find a window to try to grab the two-on-one and peel that hand down like you would a regular rear naked choke when you're trying to go behind the head, peel the hand down two-on-one, try to look the guy in the face. It's a tough position. But again, for a short fight, Nurmagomedov showed some brilliance. And for a guy who was at 125 coming up and now on a two-fight win streak, two finishes in the first round, 51 seconds, and now 47 seconds, this guy is someone to look out for. Um, he is a true, true badass. And he lost to Rione Barcelos, who just lost to another guy who made his UFC debut, and Victor Henry. Um, crazy, man. Um, Bantamweight division is hot. Hot. Now we got um, uh, Michael Morales, young kid from Ecuador, beats Trevin Giles. He looked phenomenal. In the beginning, 13-0. He's 22 years old. I just thought that Trevin Giles was going to be too much for him. Which it started to look like, and then he found his his groove and was able to connect, and that was pretty much the fight. Um, I watched this one, but I I, I kind of stopped looking after I saw that he was kind of beating up the, the new guy, and then the new guy comes back and lands and connects, and then 
fouls up and, and, and gets Trevor Giles out of there. And I do think this is Giles' first time making 170 as well. So that's his second loss in a row. First to Duplexis and now Morales. After winning one, two, three over James Krause, Bevon Lewis, and Roman Deladze. Victor Henry beating Barcelos, Rayoni Barcelos, who was ranked at a point. Now, this is what's crazy about this. This guy fought that guy, Peter Jan's teammate, um, Levin or D Dennis, whatever his name is. He fought him twice. He won the first one. They had a rematch. He lost the unanimous decision. Now, who knows how that fight went. Probably was grappling and probably held him down the entire time. But at the end of the day, he comes back. He beats Albert Morales. Finishes him in the second round and then beats Rayoni Barcelos in his UFC debut. Shocking that the UFC didn't sign um, Dennis after he beat Victor Henry. Because after he beat Victor Henry, he won two in a row, but it was another decision. And the other one was just just this recently uh, ground and pound in round one. Um, this just goes to show how many good guys are around the world right now. But Victor Henry, style points for him on his bike. Cardio machine. Took this fight on short notice as um, was it short notice? I feel like it was short notice. I don't want to. I don't want to slender it. Mess this one up. Um, no, no. Schedule belt. Schedule belt. Nope. Schedule belt. So, not short notice. But he wins the fight, man. Looks great. And for him to do it the way he did against a guy like Rayoni Barcelos, who's had been heavily touted, was potentially going to fight Marab. Now loses two in a row. Majority draw to. Um, Timur Valiev, now to Victor Henry loses, but before that he beat Saeed Nurmagomedov, who we just talked about, who was sensational, and beat uh, Khalid Taha and Carlos Houchin in his UFC debut. He won on the Ultimate Fighter finale over Christian Gutierrez, Chris Gutierrez, who's also been looking really good of late. So Barcelos was looking like a guy who was potentially going to break the break way into the ranks, which he did for a, a, a stint, and then he comes up. And loses to a guy in his UFC debut the way he does. And that just goes to show, man, like so many guys are so good. <laughs> so good in this division. Um, Victor Henry, stop once. I got to watch that fight again because he was doing a lot of good things, cool things, very dynamic, nonstop shifting and just staying active. And I think the activity was what won him the fight. Barcelos did look like he hurt him a couple times. But Henry was just tenacious and did not give up any type of ground even when any of those exchanges weren't going his way and that's what happens in fights sometimes there's a lot of back and forth you spar there's a lot of back and forth there's moments where the other guy can do some good things but it's who can continue to sustain that energy and that momentum and keep going forward and it was victor henry getting the job done and uh he won in a very very big way that is a guy to keep your eyes out for 100 percent um jack mandela um della madalena it's just called him Jack. Jack Della. Beast. That's all I really got to say about that. Beast. Super accurate. First round. He ate a little bit of shots, but it was kind of like him rolling with it. And then when it was his time to go measuring, very, very clean, technical, and just boom, boom, put the finishing touches on Pete Rodriguez and just looked sensational. And I, I don't think you could have a better debut than that. Um... I mean, there's a lot of guys who've had some spectacular ones, but the guy looked good, calm, cool, collected, took his time, and looked like a seasoned veteran and only 11-2 and two from Australia. 
as well. Aang's only 25 years old. The guy's got the world by the nuts right now. If he could continue to perform like this, man, he can be a superstar, 100%. And I look forward to watching this guy grow. Tony Gravely over Oliveira. This was a fun fight because Oliveira did some really, really good things. Even though it was his UFC debut as well, taking on a guy like Tony Gravely. There was a lot of uh, moments that he had where he did some cool stuff going for those flying knees that could have ended the fight. Gravely eating some of those shots or able to avoid some of those shots or most of them. Um, some of them did land. It looked like the, that one flying knee in the first round connected. Was able to use that, turn it into a takedown, and continue to press, 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 and press. And eventually just wear down on Oliveira. You know, it's funny. He did fight Marab, I want to say, like way back in the day. Yep. He lost to Ricky Bendejas, then beat Tim Sosa, then lost to Marab decision, then lost to Manny Bermudez by armbar. Then he won four in a row. Lost to Patchy Mix, guillotine round one, and then won a whole bunch in a row. Lost to Brett Johns by rear naked choke in the third. And then he won two in a row, lost, lost to Nate Manis, last fight before this one, and then comes back and has a, a spectacular performance over a guy like Oliveira. And Oliveira, I don't know much about the guy, but the guy looks freaking promising. The last guy we know named Oliveira won a UFC world title. Might, might have taken him a while, but he eventually got there with the jiu-jitsu and striking tenacity that he has. He's 30 years old, and his style is that shuto box style, kind of coming forward, looking for knees and elbows. And... Uh, I think he's got really good takedowns, um, not takedowns, like guillotine attempts and submission attempts. Um, he had Gravely in a tight spot where it looked like he was going to potentially put him out in that first round. And I was like, yo, this would be insane to get an, an, another uh, uh, upset like this in the first round um, over a guy like Tony Gravely, which would have been crazy. But Gravely got out, used his veteran experience to, to kind of weather the storm. Every time Oliveira was going for a guillotine, he would transition to the far side and look for a Von Flew choke or get his head out and do damage where he could do damage. Now, this last one, uh, we're going to talk about the Vanessa the Mapala. Vanessa, she wins her fight after being floored by Jorez. Jorez is actually, where is she from? Argentina, Argentina, yep. Two first-round losses by armbar. That's just insanity right there. Imagine three. That would just be crazy. So hopefully she gets it together and figure out how to defend these armbars because you can't lose like that again. Now, Vanessa, after being floored, beautiful transition. Now, if you watch the way she's like, she had her legs straight across the face. And I was saying like, that's not what you want to do when you want to apply pressure to someone's arm. It actually gives them more room to push your legs off their face because the legs are straight. There's nothing clamping down on the head, pulling it and retracting it backwards so that you can extend the arm. So you straightening your legs makes it easier for me to get my arm in and keep my arm bent to keep your flex from you extending it and getting a, a finish on me. Now, she transitioned and then she started to clamp across the face and that allowed her the opportunity to get the leverage and the pressure that she needed. And, of course, she took her right hand. I think it was the right. And she rolled under, reached for the, for the, uh, for the near side leg, and swept her into what we would use like a spider guard sweep kind of thing. And ends up on top. Finishes the on bar. Beautiful finish. After looking like she was about to get finished early in that first round. And comes back beautifully. And the fight only went 2 minutes and 25 seconds as well. So that goes to show you how much action was happening in just that short amount of time. And now when we talk about action, Matt Steamroller Favola over Valdez. Woo! Action. Action. 
Listen, guys, this fight was three minutes and 15 seconds in the first round. The volume that was thrown, the knockdowns that happened, there was, I think, five or six knockdowns in three minutes and 15 seconds of the first round. Are you kidding me? That is crazy. Who does that? Who does that? Yo, Favola, it's just funny. I sent him a message after his weigh-ins, uh, and I go, patient killer tomorrow. You take kind of like take your time, and your kill shots will come. And he was like, yo, man, I felt like the finish was there, and I just went for it. I was like, I don't know if you just you felt like it was there. I think you just went for it, and the fight went in his favor, thank God. But this is just the way he fights, and just this is also the way he trains. You come to the gym, you see Favola training, you see him grapple, you see him spar. He's a go-getter, and he's always in your face, moving his head, using his jabs, um, cracking people with those right hands. And if he's getting hit, he's returning fire, utilizing some nasty head kicks where he'll exchange with you in a shootout, and then he'll just whip a head kick at you or a body kick. And that's just the way he fights. Tenacious. Um... And I think for him being in the army, former army guy kind of thing, I don't know if he's still in it. I know he still does some things. I don't know how much like he's really involved right right now in this point of his career. Uh, but he has that mindset, which is just go. It's like you take the guy off the hinges, and to get him back on, he's out of there. You wind him up, good luck trying to stop that guy. And that's the way Matt Favola fights. And obviously we've seen in the past sometimes – it has gotten him, gotten him in trouble where he kind of comes out and it could be a little bit wide, wide with the hands. And obviously with the McKinney fight, the, the, the straight punches down the middle. And the first one when he had his UFC debut, I got knocked out that um, like a month before and he got knocked out right after. Um, Marab had a loss for us. No, that was, so that was a tough two-month span for our team. And then, of course, we all got back on track. But that's how the fight game goes sometimes. Sometimes you should have zigged when you should have zagged. And that's just the nature of the beast. But for this one, this one was Matt Favola's night. And, yo, kudos to him. The, the Cheese making his debut in the UFC, getting down there with him. Um, Billy Q, Arroyo. So that was cool to see, man. And, uh, unfortunately, Ray couldn't have been there because uh, he had COVID. Tested positive on Wednesday, I think it was, or Tuesday. He wasn't feeling good. After taking a COVID test on Monday, he was negative you know so we always said like Favola's had like the weirdest string of luck in the UFC like short notice fights opponents falling out left and right having to, having him having to jump into other things which he didn't te uh, technically prepare for and having these switch up moments having these guys who are six feet six two um having to fight those guys and he's about my height five seven five eight I'm five eight I'm five seven he's probably five eight or maybe 5'9", having to fight these really tall guys at 155. And, uh, again, he hasn't had an easy run, but he always rises to the occasion fighting Luis Pena, fighting Jalen Turner, um, fought Armin Sharyukian on short notice, pretty much like two or three days notice because his opponent tried to pull a James Bond and crawling outside the window trying to sneak some other people into the building in Abu Dhabi. The fight gets canceled. He gets cut. I, don't, I think he got back to the UFC now. Crazy shenanigans. And then having all these ups and downs, you know, and that's what that's what makes you a fighter. Being able to get through all that, sort through the bullshit, still find your way, never give up hope, and never give up the positive reinforcement of, like, is this for me kind of thing. Because he could have easily been questioning himself and giving this kid who was undefeated, Brandon Moreno's teammate, and giving him the opportunity to best him 
and look even all that more brilliant getting a win over a seasoned veteran like Matt Frivola coming off red hot from the contender series. So kudos to Matt Frivola because when the odds were stacked against him multiple times, he rose to the occasion, and this is one of those moments. So huge feather in your cap. Um, let's keep the ball rolling. 2022 is our year, baby. Let's go. Um, outside of that, man, as always, man, thank you guys for always tuning in. If you like my shit, subscribe to my shit or spin it back, bitch, baby. I'll see you guys later. I'm about to get ready to get some training in. Peace.